you, everybody. Thank you. Whoa. New Hampshire Republican primary winner Donald Trump spoke to his supporters in Nashua last night. This is not your typical victory speech, but let's... It was not. The almost certain Republican nominee talked as much about his opponent Nikki Haley and her outfits as he did about his win. And when I watched her in the fancy dress, it probably wasn't so fancy. Come up, I said, what's she doing? We won. New Hampshire was called Nikki Haley's last stand, though it appears no one told Nikki Haley that. She's not dropping out, as some predicted, but continuing on, possibly betting that Trump's 91 felony charges may at some point turn into a hindrance rather than the help they've been so far. Coming up on Today Explained, New Hampshire, too, has now spoken. I find in life you can't let people get away with bullshit, okay? You can't. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Bing, 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 bong, 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 bing. It's Today Explained. I'm Noelle King with James Pindle, the Boston Globe's man in Manchester. That's New Hampshire. New Hampshire generally gives us some sort of surprise. It's part of the New Hampshire lore and American political lore. But really, we walked in knowing that Donald Trump was likely to win, likely win by double digits. He did. But we also come out of this New Hampshire primary with one big question. Is the Republican primary race over? Donald Trump thinks it's over. He got really upset during his acceptance speech. Who the hell was the imposter that went up on the stage before and like claimed a victory? She did very poorly, actually. She had to win. The governor said, she's going to win, she's going to win, she's going to win. Then she she failed badly. Joe Biden agrees that Donald Trump is the Republican nominee and he's already pivoting to the general election. It's just... Nikki Haley that says this race will go on, and I think it's something we're going to be discussing over the coming days. Now, you've all heard the chatter among the political class. They're falling all over themselves, saying this race is over. Well, I have news for all of them. New Hampshire is first in the nation. It is not the last in the nation. Trump won by double digits, you said. Were the double digits 10, 15? 80, 90? What did that look like? Uh, around 11. Now, huh. it, it, part of American politics when it comes to the presidential primary is all about the expectations game. Yeah. It's not exactly where you finish. It's did you surprise people? Did you do better than expected? 
And in this case, uh, Nikki Haley was expected to lose by 20 points. So in that case, she's happy that it was only 11, or you could say the polls were wrong. And today we got close to half of the vote. We still have a ways to go, but we keep moving up. But uh, nonetheless, this is the spot where Nikki Haley, if you look on a map, where could she win? Anywhere in the country, all 50 states, all the territories. This was demographically made up for her to win, and she did not. So now she faces a map looking at the other 48 states saying, sure, uh, when she says New Hampshire is first in the nation, not last in the nation, and everyone should have a vote, fair enough. I accept the premise. The question is, where are you going to win? Is there a single state you're going to win? Because at the end of the day, this process is about accumulating about 1,200 votes you need or delegates you need at the Republican National Convention to become the nominee. And she's on a path to get creamed <laughs> in that process. And so she's got to talk to her donors. I mean, is people going to continue to fund her as a vehicle, as the anti-Trump or not? And that's sort of where we're at for the next, I don't know, two or three weeks. This race is far from over. There are dozens of states left to go. And the next one is my sweet state of South Carolina. How many New Hampshire primaries have you covered? This is my seventh New Hampshire primary. Seventh time around. Was there anything different about this one? Absolutely. While the stakes were really high, it felt like everything was really low, low energy. Uh, obviously, a smaller field than we've ever had before, really, uh, or used to in a presidential primary here. Very few events. We're talking about literally one or two events a day. Donald Trump spent more time in a New York courtroom than he did on the campaign trail in the New Hampshire primary week. Let's just point that out. And then smaller crowd sizes. I mean, you're putting things in context of this campaign. Oh, wow, we have 300 people or we have 400 people. I think Nikki Haley's closing rallies were 1,500. And the baseline, if you just go back to pictures from four years ago, Elizabeth Warren, uh, the senator from Massachusetts who is running for president, came in fourth place. And she's getting 2,500 to 3,000 people at her closing rallies. This is our moment to show courage. This is our moment to dream big, fight hard, and win. Andrew Yang was getting more people huh? uh, in his closing rallies four years ago. Thank you, Portsmouth. We need your support tomorrow. Let's make history together and leave a future that we're actually proud of. So there was this a sort of inevitability here that like this race is decided and I've made up my mind. And so I guess it was driving it, but you had a kind of square uh, the low energy feel here that was just not at all like the New Hampshire primary that we're used to. One of the things that surprised me about a lot of the coverage of the New Hampshire primary was that you couldn't really tell what the issues were. And and I'm not a political reporter, and it's been four years since we've done this. But is that normal that so much becomes about can the second place candidate, can Nikki Haley take out the first place candidate? What's he saying? Who's he yelling at? Is she yelling? Um, do we never discuss issues in the New Hampshire primary? Uh, you are so astute to pick up on that. Hell that yeah. was another really, really weird thing. I mean, in the Iowa caucuses, not to go back to that, but it was kind of an illuminating moment where Ron DeSantis comes out for a flat tax and everyone looks around at each other like, really? He supports a flat tax? I would eliminate the IRS, have a single rate. 
uh, and, and just do like a flat tax. That's a big deal. Yeah. We should, we should discuss that. <laughs> a flat doesn't mean a, a flat income tax, right? It was an, it's an old idea, but we didn't know. And then Vivek Ramaswamy is like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm for a flat tax also. I favor a 12% flat tax across the board. Eliminate the crony deductions. And no, we don't need an IRS. Oh, well, okay. Here, there was one issue, really, immigration, hmm. which might seem a little odd given that New Hampshire is quite far away from the southern border with Mexico. Then when it comes to the border, it doesn't even look like the United States of America anymore. It is a complete dereliction of duty. They're poisoning the blood of our country. That's what they've done. They poison mental institutions and prisons all over the world. But you're right. Um, in previous primaries, this is where, in the mix of town hall meetings and being on the ground, that these candidates get to understand the future of American politics and the future issues of American politics. This is where Bill Clinton said he learned it was the economy stupid when he was walking along Elm Street in Manchester. It's where uh, other folks, including Donald Trump, figured out that America had an opioid crisis in 2016. The problem of heroin in New Hampshire is unbelievable. It's like an unbelievable problem that you have. And you know where that stuff comes from. And we're going to work on, with all of our friends here, with so many, the clinics that they want to get involved with and the rehab centers. But it's really, it's not unique to New Hampshire, but I think you have it bigger and, and tougher than anybody else, it just seems. And we had an open conversation about what to do about that. That is one thing that was definitely lost this cycle. Look, there's a lot of uh, disagreement that Iowa and New Hampshire have started this process since 1976. They are too white. They're too rural, though New Hampshire is basically a, one big suburb of Boston these days. Um, and, and you can go through the criticism. And, and in New Hampshire's case, it's very well educated and it's rich. Uh, it's one of the, always one of the top three or four states in terms of per capita income. But if you believe in the concept that a person running for president, who typically is a vice president or a U.S. senator or a governor or really successful in business, look, they do not live like you and me. They live in a rarefied air. Who they talk to at night, who they vacation with, who they hang out with, it's, it's not the regular everyday folks. So if the idea is before they become president, before they make decisions on who wins and who loses in the tax code, before they make decisions on sending kids off into war, that they should have to interact with everyday people just for like 20 or 30 days actually on the campaign trail mm. and understand everyday Americans, that is the romance of the New Hampshire primary. And we did not have much of that romance at all this particular cycle. What are the consequences? You've been doing this for a long time. What are the consequences of a primary without a focus on issues where the focus is on personalities? Does this say something about the general election or about whomever wins the general election that you think might be kind of worth thinking about? It really, really does. You know, the 2020 election was really only about a few things, even though there were a number of issues we could talk about. We could have talked about the Supreme Court, no doubt about it. And we did. We talked about climate change. We talked about tax cuts. We talked about COVID a lot in 2020. But what we really talked about was Donald Trump. Mm. It was a referendum on, did you want this man out of office or did, is this man speaking for you and all your grievances and you want to keep him in office? 
And I think that what's ironic is the 2024 election, which is always kind of about the incumbent, in this case, Joe Biden and his record, is still going to be about Donald Trump and his record in office and, and how he handled the country. And so as a force of nature and a force of personality, I do think that we are not going to be talking about issues as much as we have in the past. And remember, last time, Republicans didn't even put out a policy platform at their national convention. They may this time, um, but nonetheless, uh, I think issues is something that is going to suffer. And it's something that, to be honest with you, I'm focusing on for the rest of the general election, largely because it's a contrarian take about where we're at in American politics. James Pindle of the Boston Globe from Manchester, New Hampshire. Coming up, a self-described former Republican voter and member of Donald Trump's administration on those 91 felony counts. Today Explained support today comes from Quince, which rhymes with since, but is spelt with a Q-U. The poet Josh O'Donohue once said, we're getting very classy here, when one flower blooms, spring awakens everywhere. Now, I don't know exactly if that's true, it tells me to tell you, but I do know that Quince offers timeless essentials that they say never go out of style no matter what the season. And honestly, that also kind of sounds like a poem, doesn't it? Not only that, Quince says all of their items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Take it away, Claire White. The style feels great. It feels really timeless. It feels like a cut that I could wear over and over again and through a lot of different seasons. I love a plain sweater. You can upgrade your wardrobe this spring by going to quince.com slash explain for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash explained to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash explained. It rhymes with since. Support for Today Explained comes from Indeed. Hiring can be difficult. You can hope and pray and ruminate on how to find the perfect candidate, or you can turn to something more reliable, a smart piece of technology like Indeed's matching engine. According to Indeed, that matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences for job candidates, so it becomes more accurate over time. The more you use it, the better it gets. Indeed also lets you ditch some of the busy work, scheduling, screening, messaging. According to Indeed data, they have over 350 million global monthly visitors. They also did a survey that showed 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Listeners of Today Explained will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Today Explained. You can go to Indeed.com slash Today Explained. Let them know you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Today Explained. Terms and conditions do apply. Need to hire? Asks Indeed. You need Indeed. Support for the show already comes from Delete Me. Your personal information is online. So is mine. I don't think I'm breaking any news by saying that, but you might be surprised to know just how much of your information is available not only for people to see, but to sell as well. And that's where Delete Me comes in. Delete Me wants to help you keep things such as your name, number, home address, and other private information 
out of the hands of data brokers. I've never personally kept my information out of the hands of data brokers, but perhaps Vox's business team's Claire White has. Removing the data that Delete Me found was super easy because I didn't have to do anything. They already removed my information across sites that they deemed as unsafe. I truly did not have to lift a finger. You can take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me Now at a special discount for our listeners. You can get 20% off your Delete Me plan today when you go to joindeleteme.com slash today and use the promo code today at checkout. Again, you can get 20% off by going to joindeleteme.com slash today and enter the code TODAY at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash TODAY. The code is TODAY. Explained. 2024 Explained. Sarah, go ahead, give me your full name, please, and tell me what you do. Sarah Isger, and I'm a senior editor at The Dispatch and ABC News contributor. All right. So you work in news media now, but you did used to work on political campaigns. Tell me a little bit about your experience. Absolutely. So I was in Republican politics and campaigns for almost 20 years. Hmm. Many, many Senate campaigns, three presidential campaigns, Mitt Romney in 2008, 2012. And I ran Carly Fiorina's campaign in 2016. You also spent some time in the Trump administration. What are your thoughts on Donald Trump at this moment? (laughs) Uh, I was the head of public affairs at the Department of Justice and senior counsel to the deputy attorney general during the Russia investigation. Uh, So, you know, the Mueller special counsel stuff. And look, I think uh, it would be a big mistake for the country to reelect Donald Trump. Okay. All right. That said... Um, I think the big question after New Hampshire is this. Should Nikki Haley drop out? What do you think? You know, you talk to the Haley campaign, and what they'll tell you is they feel like the New Hampshire primary was day one of their campaign, Mm. that yes, they understand they need to make inroads with, uh, you know, sort of more harder core Republican primary voters, but that they see this as a jumping off point. Of course, there's something to that. They came in third in Iowa, second in New Hampshire. You know, you you ha- there's some momentum is building argument there. But the problem is the path forward. She's expected to, in fact, have a wider margin losing to Donald Trump in her home state of South Carolina. Then you head into Super Tuesday, which is really seen as more of a national primary. Uh, lots of states all at once. It's not really a retail politics thing anymore. So in that sense, New Hampshire was kind of her last stand. She needed to win it or at least come within, you know, a couple points of Donald Trump. Instead, it was an 11-point race. And so it's hard to see that path forward at this point for Nikki Haley, aside from just biding her time in case, you know, the Supreme Court says Donald Trump's disqualified or there's a criminal trial that could change something or a, you know, very small asteroid that hits Earth in a very specific place. You're a Republican voter who does not want to reelect Donald Trump. How do you feel today? Uh, So I don't know that I would describe myself as a Republican voter at this point, Uh but um, (laughs) I would say that, you know, it's fascinating to live in a time where the parties are realigning so quickly. And I am one of those people who does not think that Donald Trump is the cause of that so much as the symptom, right? Because we've seen the same thing happen in so many countries across the world. I mean, my own view is that probably the 2008 financial collapse, among other causes, um, had that worldwide effect of really 
ushering in an era of populism Mm. and that Donald Trump is just the manifestation of that in the United States. You know, as you tear down institutions, though, which is what sort of populism does um, in in its manifestations, usually, uh, that's a real problem for the future of the United States. You know, we've been around for 250 years, and at this point, the Supreme Court is dropping in people's esteem. Congress couldn't really go lower, but there it is, still somehow going lower and becoming even more um, ineffectual. I mean, what is Congress even doing? And you also have Americans, I think, losing a lot of trust in this negative polarization where people aren't voting for candidates. They're voting against the other people because they think that they're a threat to their way of life. That's a real problem in a pluralistic society, you know, based on everyone being different. Let's talk about Donald Trump's legal troubles, because one of the things that I think the smart money was telling us even a couple of months ago is that a candidate running for president who is in as much potential legal peril as Donald Trump simply isn't going to be a good candidate. And again, that was either the smart or the relatively smart money. Why hasn't that turned out to be the case? Well, I mean, there's a real argument that this primary ended the second that uh, Alvin Bragg in New York indicted Donald Trump up there. Hmm. Um, Republican primary voters felt like Donald Trump was being targeted, not because of any potential crime that he had committed, but because of who he was and that he was a threat to the Democratic establishment. After Iowa, we talked a bit on the show about Ron DeSantis's apparent inability to go after Trump on his legal record, the sense that if DeSantis attacked, it was only going to alienate the people who might have chosen him, DeSantis, over Trump. DeSantis is now out of the race. Nikki Haley still in it. At what point do you think Nikki Haley brings up the legal jeopardy, the 91 felony charges? Look, I'm a big fan of reminding people that A losing campaign didn't do everything wrong, Hmm. and a winning campaign didn't do everything right, of course. Um, But the idea that, for instance, if only Ron DeSantis had done X, Y, or Z, he could have won the race, sometimes you can do everything right and still lose. Now, I don't happen to think that the DeSantis campaign did everything right, but the idea that he should have run a campaign like Chris Christie's is sort of undermined by Chris Christie's race. Hmm. You know, and I think Chris Christie said a lot of really important things in the Republican primary, but obviously it did not resonate with Republican primary voters. I am going to make sure that in no way do I enable Donald Trump to ever be president of the United States again. And that's more important than my own personal ambition. And those are the polls and the focus groups and everything else that the DeSantis team was looking at. So I'm not surprised where Haley and DeSantis landed on Trump. What is funny, maybe, uh, and we saw it in 2016 also, is that as they get closer to losing, or maybe you could say after the whole game has already been lost, they start telling the truth about what they think about Donald Trump. We've seen Ron DeSantis be more honest about what he thinks Donald Trump's chances in the general election are than he was during the entire primary season. Uh, Nikki Haley is starting to go after Donald Trump very forcefully at this point. With Donald Trump, you have one bout of chaos after another. This court case, that controversy, this tweet, that senior moment. You can't fix Joe Biden's chaos with Republican chaos. But now is it too late? And is that why they're going after Donald Trump? Because they no longer see actually winning the primary and winning over those voters as possible. 
In the first half of the show, Sarah, we spoke to James Pindle, a New Hampshire politics reporter, and he told us that he noticed that this primary season has been devoid of substantive issues. The candidates are not really talking about anything other than the candidates' personalities and various troubles, etc. Did you notice the same thing? Did you notice anything similar? Absolutely. But I think the interesting question is not, is this campaign devoid of policies? Because it just is. There's no argument. I mean, Hmm. James is a brilliant political reporter, knows every inch of New Hampshire. He's incredible. But the question really is, was it ever about policies? Voters would tell you it was about policy. But, you know, was Ronald Reagan actually about policy or was it about vibes? It's morning again in America. Bill Clinton. That seemed pretty vibey at the time as well. Hmm. And so I think, you know, as two parties became much, much weaker in the last 20 years as a result of campaign finance reform and other sort of trends within American politics, we've seen uh, parties no longer be able to choose their standard bearers, which means that the parties no longer have those carrots and sticks to say, like, this is our platform, these are our issues. And at the same time, individuals have basically started running our politics. It's why Donald Trump arguably didn't just defeat the Democratic Party when he won in 2016. He first defeated the Republican Party in the primary. So we're tempted to fret about losing the focus on substance in favor of personalities. You're saying maybe we never had it, which seems very dark to me, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a little dark to me, too, honestly. But I need to think about how to, like, say this succinctly. But basically— The presidency has become so important as Congress has faded into the background. You know, why would congressmen take hard votes if at any given point 50 percent of them, you know, can call up their friends in the White House and try to do it through executive action? So my, like, hopeful future is that our problems will fester and stagnate and get much, much worse. And voters will realize that they don't want cable news pundits in Congress, that they actually want legislators. You know, I don't think there's a lot of people in Congress who are going to change who they are, but you can replace them with people who actually want to go and compromise and do the hard work and the, I mean, grueling, it takes a long time to get legislation done. You got to, you can't get everything you want. You got to give up on some stuff. You need people there who want to do that and you don't right now. That was Sarah Isger of The Dispatch. Today's episode was produced by Miles Bryan and Isabel Angel. It was edited by Matthew Collette and engineered by Patrick Boyd and David Herman. Laura Bullard and Amanda Llewellyn fact-checked today's show. The rest of our team includes Amina El-Sadi and Rob Byers, Hadi Mouagdi, Halima Shah, Victoria Chamberlain, Jesse Alejandro Cottrell, E.P. Miranda Kennedy, and Sean Ramosfer. We use music from Breakmaster Cylinder and Noam Hassenfeld, and we're distributed to public radio stations by WNYC in New York. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Noel King. This has been Today Explained. <laughs>